I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading the book of Jonah. This is the new King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. So first, let's begin with an introduction to the book of Jonah. At some point before the fall of Israel in 721 B.C., they fell to the Assyrians. We find that fall recorded in 2 Kings chapter 17. At some point before that, Jonah was directed by God to go to the Assyrian capital, Nineveh, and preach to them. We know from 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 through 29, that Jonah prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II, from 793 to 753 B.C., he reigned in Israel. Jonah's name appears in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, where there it says, He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Goth-Hefer. So let's begin reading now with Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest part of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Well, God told Jonah to go preach to the people in the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, that city's Nineveh. They were the contemporary bully empire of the world. Their power and influence in the region was growing daily. These are the people, by the way, who later would overcome the northern kingdom of Israel. Nineveh was way east of Israel. Jonah instead, well, he heads way west. He goes to the seacoast town in Israel, Joppa, boards a ship, and heads west across the Mediterranean to Tarshish. No Nineveh for this prophet. Nineveh was over 600 miles away from Israel to the northeast, and those wicked people were a threat to Israel at this time. While it's difficult for the captain of the ship to identify the exact problem when the storm arises and threatens the safety of the ship, he's distressed by the fact that everyone is frantically praying to their respective deities for deliverance, well, except for Jonah and he's sound asleep. To the captain, that's just not normal conduct. It's conduct that deserves some extra investigation. So get the picture here. The crew is fervently and furiously throwing cargo into the water while calling out to their gods. Jonah's sleeping. Now that really isn't normal, is it? So we see in verses 7 through 17 of chapter 1 that, that Jonah wins the lottery, more or less. 
Verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, we're not certain of the exact procedure for casting lots, but we do know it looked a lot like gambling to the casual observer. They gathered around and threw something resembling dice to make decisions, important decisions. When the life-threatening storm came, the terrified people on the ship cast lots to determine the identity of the culprit bringing upon them the wrath of nature. The casting of lots identifies Jonah. Upon speaking with Jonah after the casting of lots, they observe a cool, calm Jonah who simply tells them his story, including his flight from Jehovah. He gives them the solution to their potential loss-of-life problem in hand. He says, just throw me overboard. At first, they reject that notion, but upon realizing that there was no other way to spare their own lives, they do throw him overboard. Jonah picks up another ride, it says, in a great fish. He spends three days and three nights in there. This time period is very significant inasmuch as Jesus refers to Jonah's experience in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, with regard to his own whereabouts between the crucifixion and resurrection. Here's what he says in Matthew 12:40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now let's take particular notice here to an interesting point. These other men on the ship start out as polytheists, and they're praying to their own gods and referencing the one true God of Jonah as your God in verse 6. However, by the time their harrowing cruise experience is over, they're calling upon the one true God, Jehovah, in verses 16 through 18. They even make sacrifices to the one true God. That was some pretty effective lifestyle evangelism, I'd say, wouldn't you? In chapter 2, Jonah prays, and the fish blows chunks. Verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. And you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the floods surrounded me as your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look around toward your holy temple. 
The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you, into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you. With the voice of thanksgiving, I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Well, nothing like being in the belly of a big fish to get you praying. What a ride. We find Jonah's prayer of repentance here. It culminates in verse 9 when Jonah says, But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Though Jonah does not tell us what he had vowed, the context implies that it involved complete obedience. God acknowledges Jonah's prayer and makes the fish sick, blows Jonah right out onto dry land. Toward Nineveh, Jonah heads. So in chapter 3, we see that it is off to Nineveh, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown." So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed to fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Well, it takes a while to get there, but Nineveh was a very large city as cities go back then. The city itself took three days to walk, either from one side to the other or around it. We don't know which. And it had an estimated population of 120,000, according to chapter 4, verse 11. He experiences a great response to his preaching of doom and gloom on its way to Nineveh in 40 days if they don't repent. Notice the response of the residents of Nineveh in verse 5. It says, So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. As a matter of fact, it was the king of Nineveh that actually proclaimed the feast. So in verses 6 through 10, we see that the people in Nineveh, well, they repent. Verse 6, Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands." Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. Well, the prophets to Israel, they should have had so much success as Jonah had here. The folks in Nineveh repent big time. They all respond from the king of Nineveh all the way down to the little people. God, as a result, delays his judgment on them by a half century or so. Notice what it says in verse 10 of chapter 3. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. How much more success can an evangelist expect than that?
But in chapter 4, we see that Jonah's not happy with the success. Verse 1, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade, till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? Well, verse 1 says it all. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. <laughs> What's up with this? I mean, the prophets of Israel and Judah preached to their own people, and those people reject God's word. Jonah preaches to these heathen strangers, and they turn to God. He's so upset about his success that he asks God to just go ahead and take his life in verse 3. And again, he does so in verse 8 when he says, It is better for me to die than to live. These Assyrians had previously visited a town near Jonah as conquerors, and he didn't want these people to prosper. Jonah, just deal with it. God has spoken and spared the lives of these repentant Assyrians at least for a few dozen years or so. The Assyrians did terrorize Israel and its neighbors at the end of that century. The northern kingdom of Israel fell to those Assyrians in 721 B.C., which is recorded in 2 Kings chapter 17. It's interesting that the book of Jonah ends without actually scratching Jonah's itch. As far as we know, Jonah may have mourned his success until the day he died. Just goes to show you, God's ways just aren't our ways. Any one of us may someday be called upon by God to minister in areas we personally find unnecessary or maybe even distasteful. We don't have to agree or even understand. We just need to obey God. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walker.